Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke. The third synoptic gospel. Here we go. Luke chapter 2. Go on over to where it begins with she. Of course, it's talking about Mary. She laid him in a manger. Uh, that's all you can close your Bible. That's all. She laid him in a manger. Now understand, of course, that a manger is the feeding trough of cattle or oxen. And uh, no doubt there was some hay in there. But that manger had to find its place inside a stable because that's where the cattle came in. That's where the, the oxen came in. That's where the sheep came in. That's where the donkeys came in. Now, we've, we've popularized this whole business. We've um, commercialized this, this whole scene. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about that Christmas, that, that stable, that manger, becomes God's greatest illustrated sermon of all time. He, he's communicating something there. There really weren't many words spoken there. An angel appeared, you know, and he didn't come to the affluent. Uh, he didn't come to the finest section of town, of course. Uh, he did not boast his appearing in the New York Times. He, he didn't send out a tweet, and he didn't do a Facebook Live. He just, he just had an angel appear to a bunch of lowly, smelly, tired, weary shepherds working third shift. Like, these not even the main shepherds, you dig? These are not... These are, not the, these are not the best shepherds. These are the ones, okay, y'all just hang and kind of watch things through the night because we don't trust you out in the daytime. And you look a little funny, so we're not going to put you out on display. Uh, you smell kind of funky. So we're not going to put you where we get our business associates coming in and sales representatives coming in to sell us straw. And hey, we're not going to let you out. We're going to put you on third shift. So they on the third shift in the middle of the night. And lo, the angel of the Lord did appear unto them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid, and the angel said, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. His name is Christ, the anointed one, and his anointing that destroys every yoke. For those of you not too familiar with church things, that means he takes off you everything the devil put on and puts back on you everything the devil took off. In other words, he's going to bless you. He's going to do well by you. He shall save his people from their sin. The word save is the word sozo. It means to do well by in every aspect and area of life. So John 10.10 10 then comes along and says the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So we have to understand that what we're dealing with today and what the world needs now and what you need now and what your family needs now and what your neighborhood needs now and what our nation needs now and certainly what the world needs now is, is something that this morning I just want to call the stable influence. We need a stable influence. Could you just shout that one time? Us. Now that was pretty weak. They put it up there so you can see it. Go ahead. Uh. And I want to break it down just into two little segments for you for our little talk together today on this Christmas Eve. I, I want to share with you the abhorrent necessity of a stable influence. The abhorrent necessity. That means something very, very bad, abhorrent. It is, it is not to be looked upon. It is, it is difficult to view. It is terrible in its implication. It is overwhelming in a negative way. I want to talk to you about the negativity of the nativity because we passed it over. We don't understand the reason that he came. Uh, we've glamorized the situation into which he came. And I'm going to make a statement. It may be a little bit rough for some of you, but I hope that you'll get the meaning of it. Had the world and the nation and your neighborhood and your family and you been any less damned, he never would have come. Hang on. I know you want to talk about tinsel, and I know you want to talk about trees, and I understand you want to talk about lights, and I understand that somewhere in your home, no doubt, you have a nativity. But you understand the commercialization, the glamorization of what's actually going on here. Now let's think about it just for a moment. This is not a young lady who has been through a proper courtship. This is not a woman who has been found pure, who has married a young man and gone through the seven years of the betrothal process, which was customary in Jewish homes. She has not gone through the liturgy of everything that needed to go on. This is simply a 14-year-old 
girl. She's 14. She is barely at the age of her physical maturity beginning. She has no husband. It would be seven years from then that she would be able or permitted to marry Joseph. Not seven minutes like today's online situation. Seven years. Seven years. And she is about to begin that seven-year journey with a guy named Joe. And Joe's excited. So Mary's 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. She's going to be 21 when they tie the knot. She's 14. She's minding her own business. She's doing everything she's supposed to do. But now she's about to be blamed and accused. Ridiculed and mocked. Scorned and set aside. Not because of what she did. But because of what she's been accused of doing. An angel interrupts her. Hail Mary, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Well, I mean, she's, she's rolling with that. And then he says, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and you shall bring forth a son. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of David forever and forever. She's rolling. This sounds good. She's thinking seven years from now. And then the Bible says she's troubled at his saying. You know, sometimes it's not what you say, it's the way you say it. The way he said it must have given her some indication that the seven-year period was in jeopardy. So she said, how is this going to happen? Now she stands up for her own morality, seeing I know not a man. And the angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. The power of God shall come upon you. 
therefore that holy thing that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. What <laughs> chill, man. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. And oh. She knew the implication. And yet, she said what you might have said. Cool. Because if this is God, it's on him. And before you know it, sure enough, and she knows this is going to be some kind of ride. And then there came this decree from Caesar that the whole world ought to be taxed. The children told you. They had to go to Bethlehem because Caesar had raised their taxes. So off they went to Washington. <laughs> so off they went to Bethlehem. So when they get there, now they're not, they're not riding, they're not, they're not riding the Bentley. They've got a donkey. She's nine months pregnant. One of our team the other day was going to, they were wanting a baby and they wanted it to come by a certain holiday. And I'm like, look, I got a Jeep. Some of you don't even get that. The old folk, when they wanted to have their baby at a convenient time, they just go take a ride in a truck. And things would begin to move, if you will, right? So they're on the donkey and they're making this track and they show up at Bethlehem. Denton. Bethlehem, not Nazareth. Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. Bethlehem. Ah. Bethlehem, you understand, though titled the house of bread, there was none. Bethlehem was poor. Bethlehem was impoverished. Bethlehem was the offscouring. Bethlehem was not only the wrong side of the tracks, you couldn't even see the tracks. Bethlehem was dirty, and so were the people there. Bethlehem, where the cats ran the streets and the rats followed Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Well, I'm sure they did what I've done before when I've gone on tours around the, the nation or in other nations. I, I have the team. Would you look into the best hotel they have? I know it's not going to be much. It's not going to be the Ritz because they got no Ritz in modern day Bethlehem and they had no Ritz in Bethlehem of Judea. They didn't even have a Motel 6 with the light left on. There were no lights. 
there were criminals, there were pickpockets, there were beggars, there were drunks laying in the streets in their own urine. Bethlehem. Oh, I know you've got that thing in your house, you know. You've got the wise men who didn't show up till three years later. They've got You got Mary. I always love the way Mary looks. That's, I call that soap opera Mary. You ever notice people in a soap opera? I don't know if they have soap operas now. Reality TV. They, and they, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what time of day they wake up. They're in full makeup. Talk to me, somebody. Their hair. They've just been in a car crash. They're in the hospital emergency room with the doctor that looks in the natural like I look in the spirit and the doctors always look like that and the nurses always look like they just stepped out of, you know, some glamour magazine and the patient is laying there and they're all weeping because surely she's going to die. And she looks like she just stepped off the runway at a beauty contest, right? So that's your Mary. Look, I'll know about you. Two times in my life, I have been with the most beautiful woman on earth when she was about to give birth. The Estelada's all done worn off. The essential oils have lost their fragrance. The angels have left the room. And my lovely, quiet, peaceful wife is grabbing me and pulling me down in her camel breath face. Because she better. with her hair stringing down upon the perspiration, looking at me saying, don't you ever come near me again. You, this is a quote, did this to me. And I told her my knee was hurting and I needed to go sit down. That went over big. Now that's under the best of circumstances, but you understand. She is not at a hospital. There's no epidural. I just want every man to join me right now. Thank God for medication. <laughs> there was no medication. She's in a stable. 
There's not only no Ritz, there's not even a home on the outskirts of town where 15 people are living in two rooms. There's no room for them. I'd love to draw the parallel of Jesus attempting to enter your world. And how much room we've made for him. I'll leave that to another sermon. She is tired. She is within moments of dropping this baby. And Joseph can't even find a place for her to lay down. A stable. A stable. Cool. Love you, Joe. Thanks, baby. A stable. And Joe's like, don't look at me. I don't have nothing to do with this. <laughs> you have to talk to the Holy Ghost about that. I know your nativity has Mary looking like a beauty queen. Baby Jesus, he's all clean. and He's wrapped in those beautiful swaddles. Swaddles were the remnants. You would say it this way. Swaddle was the rags torn off, not even worthy to be on a garment or a blanket, thrown away the scraps. God chose to wrap himself in rags. She doesn't have a hospital bed with electric up and down. She's just, she's got straw, her body, is tired, perspiring. The straw feels like needles jabbing into her back and that awful putrid smell where all those nasty animals with things hanging out of their noses and leaving what they ate that day in the floor all around her. The smell is about to choke her. The Dust is filling her nostrils. Suddenly there's blood everywhere. She screams in the dark. Where did we get this image? It's not the world he came into. He came into a world where sin had done its worst. He wasn't surrounded by the fragrance of roses. He had nothing. He had no one. So that he could say to you and to me today, that's how I see you, poor, needy. Life has worn 
all of the estelada off your spirit, man. You smell of the stable. You have nothing to offer me. Oh, they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, not for three years. Sometimes we won't wait on God's blessing three hours. Three years before he received a gift. And so the question becomes, why did he come? Why would the God of heaven and earth choose such a place as the entryway of his only begotten son. Why? Oh. Your Bible answers that question in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here it is. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark 10, 45, he came not to be served, but to serve and to surrender or give his life a ransom for many. So he came to seek and to save, to serve and to surrender. Would you say that with me? He came to seek and to, came to seek and to save Seek, serve, surrender. Seek, save, serve, surrender. Seek, save, You're so good. But who came? He came. Now, had he been a king, certainly he would have sent an ambassador. Had he been a president, certainly he would have sent the vice president or a senator. Had he been a philosopher, a scribe, a teacher, he would have sent a page. Had he been a pharmacist, he would have taken the prescription, put a three-inch thick glass in front of him with a little hole at the bottom because he did not want certainly to be contaminated with whatever disease you needed cure that he had the answer for. Certainly he would keep you at arm's length, but not Jesus. No, he didn't slide the prescription through the little window. He came wading into the muck and the mire, the filth and the screaming, the blood and the mud and the wallow of the animals and the stench of sin. He came wading waist deep into our mess because he had 
and was the cure. Isaiah 9, 6, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, a child is born, a son is given, a child is born, a son is given. I'm making a point, a child is born, a son is given. Given means that he had to have existed in the past. Given means he was not born and that is all. He was born and given, meaning he was born into the earth, but he had to be given from another world. And so you see the joining together of the eternal and the temporal of man and God, Jesus born in that stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid down in that manger, was every bit as much God as he was man, every bit as much man as he was God. He was not deity humanized, nor humanity deified, you understand. He was the only begotten son of God, and he did not come to the high and mighty. He came to the low and needy, and everybody happy for it. Shout on this Christmas Eve. I, I've, got, I, I, I've got to hurry. I, I, I want you to understand the abhorrent condition that Christmas cures. I want you to understand. 1847, I love this. 1847, oh holy night. Why did it come? Oh holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Here's why. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Let me tell you why he came. The wages of sin was death. Let me help you with that for a moment. The wages of sin is death. I'm going to clear this up for you. Are you ready, Elkhart? I'm going to clear this up for you. How many of you will attest and acknowledge that unfortunately the death rate among human persons remains stubbornly at 100%? Oh, you don't acknowledge that? Well, let me, let, me, let me break it down for you. You're not getting off this planet alive. Oh, there's a casket somewhere. Possibly already made, possibly already sitting in the funeral home. I don't know. Why would you preach something like this on Christmas? Why would he come to a stable? Why would he be born in a manger? Why would he submit to the ringing of the hammer and the crashing and smashing of the nails tearing through sinew and flesh. He could have called 10,000 angels. At some point, sir, ma'am, you'll have to answer the question, why? So if you believe you will die, raise your hand. We don't, we don't look for death, but believe me, it's looking for us. Raise your hand. I believe someday I will die. Then you must understand that the reason you will die is because 
of something called sin. You don't die because it's the natural thing. Death is unnatural. Your body is designed to replenish every cell in itself every seven years. Nothing in your physical body is the same today it was seven years ago. So where'd the old you go? And then God comes along and says, though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. What is he saying to you? Adam and Eve were created never to die. Our pristine parents were created never to die. Death is the curse of sin. Are you listening? So if everyone's going to die, that must hold true that everyone is a sinner. Because the wages of sin is death. So the next time somebody tells you they're not a sinner, ask them if they're going to die. And when they say yes, ask them how. How can you die? And then they'll understand because of sin. So, he came to seek. Shove your neighbor right quick and say seek. Here's why he came to that stable. Here's why we need a stable influence. He came looking for somebody. We have three parables in one chapter of your Bible. We have, we have the parable of the lost sheep. That's the reason some of us make great emphasis in our lives on leaving the 99 and finding the one because your Bible said, what shepherd among you will not leave the 99 having lost one sheep, not leave them and go find the one and seek him till he's found. This is the story of Jesus. But that's not my favorite one. Then there's the one of the lost son. We all know about that, the prodigal son. He was with his father. He went away. He spent all his life, his earnings on riotous living. And then suddenly he decided, he came to himself and said to himself, self, what am I doing here? The hired servants in my father's house are better than me. I will arise. You see, you have to come to yourself before you can come to God. He said, I will arise and I will go to my father, which he did. And the father ran out and met him and joined him back into the family. That's not my favorite parable either. My favorite parable is that one about a lady who lost a coin. Because I can see it in my mind. I can see her. Oh, she's a clean lady. She's a good cook. She's a good mother. And, and she's, she's in her home and she's made it the way a home should be. There aren't three inches of dust laying around on everything. But somehow or another, she has lost her coin. It's of great, great value. And so she pins her hair back and she gets on her apron and she pulls up her skirt and she looks in every nook and cranny. She looks in every cabinet and every jar. She looks in every glass. She opens every drawer. She takes out all the clothing. She's got to find it because the clothing is not as important as what might be hidden in the clothing. The mess is not as important as 
has to miracle. God sometimes could care less what kind of a mess he has to make to get you to your miracle. You missed it. Anyway, so she's, she's throwing that stuff all over and she's looking for that coin. But the evening night, the evening darkness is coming so she lights a candle and she's crawling all over her house and she's down and the perspiration is running and she's almost in a panic. She, she has to find it. That's the way Jesus was, crawling and writhing in his own blood until his capillaries burst and his own face was bleeding before a cat of nine tails was ever laid upon his back. Look at him. It's Jesus. He's under the full light of a Passover moon. If you want to know how to get that stable influence, you have to hear me right now because he came from heaven down and he didn't come without a purpose. He didn't come to be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes like the modern picture of the nativity. No, sir. He came into the mess and the muck and the mire. He came into the disease and the pollution. He came into the mud. He came into the, the off-scouring. He came where there was no light. He came where there was no fresh scent. He came into the horror of sin. He came looking, searching. garden of Gethsemane under the full light of that Passover moon in his own blood praying father if it be your will let this cup pass from me nevertheless not what I will but what you will no answer from the father your Bible said that he was afraid people have asked me do you think Jesus was ever afraid I don't think it I know that he was afraid your Bible said in that garden he was afraid unto death afraid but he kept searching he kept looking oh holy night the stars are brightly shining it is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. The wages of sin is death. This is why he came. This is the abhorrent necessity of a stable influence. Not long ago, the Holy Spirit woke me up. Woke me up in the dead of night in a deep sleep. And he said to me, write this down. The first thing he spoke to me were those words, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I heard myself saying, what is sin? What is it? That's why he came. He didn't come so we could have church services and beautiful edifices and light shows and pretty music and Christmas trees and tinsel. Why? Why do we celebrate this day? If we celebrate this day because he came, then shouldn't we ask ourselves why?
Why did they come? And God said, he came. The necessity, the abhorrent necessity of his stable influence was simply because of that three-letter word that we all have in common and no one wants to talk about. Sin. That's why he came. Sin. So God said, write this down. Sin, the cut of a knife, the fear and a scream. Sin, the hollowness of an empty stomach. Sin, the snobbery of pride, the clutch and curse of cancer, the malice of murder, the clamor of war, the helplessness of divorce, the blank stare. In the face of the homeless, it's the dollar bill in the pocket of the abortion doctor, sin. It's the despair of poverty, the fear of the past, the present, the fear of the future. It's the sob of a little girl nursing a bruised cheek slapped by a drunken father. It's federal penitentiaries, it's arguing, it's lying, it's cheating, it's the deceitfulness of riches. It's stealing, it's thievery, it's heresy, it's prejudice, it's bigotry, it's racism, sin. The abhorrent necessity of a stable influence. It's suicide in the occult, it's the new age deceit, it's pagan religion and religious tradition, it's demon possession, it's the chains of alcohol and drug addiction, it's sirens screaming in the dark of night, it's hospitals, it's whispering of friends. It's teenage pregnancy. It's the driving of sexual perversion. It's rape and it's incest. It's funerals. It's the silence of death and the reality and the necessity of eternity separated from God in a place called hell. It's everything cruel and fierce and painful and ravaging every plague and curse. It's every blight known to the human family and to satisfy its ceaseless craving. Men will sell their own souls and many will spend eternity in hell attempting to fill the void of sin's gnawing hunger. But today, today, there's an answer. Our great high priest, Jesus Christ, left eternity's majesty and leaped into an earthly manger. He came to repair, to reconcile. He came to restore the torn, the jagged relationship between an eternal God and a temporal man. We've taken the bypass. We say we're weak. God says you're wicked. We say we're sick. God says you're sinful. Proverbs 23 says sin bites like a serpent. Proverbs 20 said, sin is like a mouthful of gravel. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm trying to give you a reason for the abhorrent necessity of a stable influence. John Wesley asked his mother, she said, mother, he said, mother, what is sin? Wesley's mother, in a way only a mother could, said, John, 
anything that impedes the tenderness of your conscience, that weakens your reason, that obscures your sense of God, that dulls your deep desire after spiritual things, or increases the authority of your soul and body over the authority of your spirit. That to you, John, is sin. Sin has turned beauty into deformity, and the wicked take more care to have sin covered than cured, and they are more apt to excuse sin than to examine it. Sin is the awful, abhorrent need for Christmas, but for its blight, there would be no need for O Holy Night. There would be no little town of Bethlehem. It generates cosmic chaos, and from its black grafts, no human can escape. Joshua 7 declares sin to be the accursed thing. 1 Kings 8, sin is called the oozing sore of a deadly plague. John Bunyan said, sin is the dare to God's justice, the rape of his mercy, the jeer of God's patience, the slight of God's power, and the contempt of God's love. According to Zechariah, it makes God loathe the sinner and the sinner loathe himself. Has your sin ever gone so far above your own head that you could not lift yourself up by the weight thereof? If not, then my dear brother, my dear sister, do not call yourself a Christian. God's word shouts it. In the book of Romans, Christ died for three categories of human persons. Number one, the ungodly. Number two, those who are without strength. Number three, he suffered, he bled, he died in the place of sinners. He alone at a dead lift has the power to save us all from the suffocating quicksand and mire of sin. Thomas Goodwin said sin is called poison. Sinners are called serpents. Sin is called the stench of graves and the sinner's rotten sepulcher. Hear these powerful and prophetic words. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is able he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and mangled by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, Sinners, Jesus came to call. 
Every head bowed and every eye closed. I have not time to share with you the achievement of a stable influence. Because Jesus came not only to seek, he came to save, but he came to serve. Might I have your attention just for one moment? I think it's necessary for me to share with you. He came not to be served, but to serve. Mark 10. We say the strangest things as Christians. We say things like, I just want to serve the Lord. Now let's think about that for a minute. Uh, how shall you serve him? Does he need healing? Might you put a bandage on his wound? What could you bring him? that he does not already possess. Ah. How are you serving him? That's an impossibility. You can't serve him. He needs nothing except an opportunity to be who and what he is because he lives by giving. He is the eternally self-existent God. What does that mean? He creates his own energy. Therefore, he can never run out of energy. How does he create his energy? By giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe upon Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is why He came. This is where He came. Into the darkness of night. Into the depths of pain. Into the weariness of exhaustion. He came so that He could give. Because by giving, he creates his own energy. <laughs> he came to serve you. Not so that you could serve him. But that through his power, you might serve them. And the same process holds true. As he lives to give and gives to live, so we love God by loving people. That's why we give gifts. We give so we live. So you can create your own answer. You need joy? Give it. You need peace? Be it. You need hope? Give it. 
And as you do, you create your own joy, your own hope. Give and it shall be given to you. Has much more to do than with your finances. Give. Give joy today. Give peace today. Give somebody hope today. Bless somebody today. Encourage somebody today. If you're downtrodden, find the downtrodden. Lift them up. Jesus was missing humanity. So he gave himself to humanity and received them in return. Everybody's standing. Everybody's standing. First John 2, 2 says, He is the price paid for our sins, and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What better time to gain an understanding of the abhorrent necessity of Christ's stable influence? He says to you today, the more broken you are, the more I came for you. Not to the high and mighty, but to the low and needy he came. He came to you. And tonight, today, possibly your heart is empty. Possibly today, you never realized why he came. Oh, you've been putting up the tree and hanging the lights and you've been baking the cakes and pies and you've been getting the turkey and you're getting all ready. And that's wonderful. But could we just for a moment on this Sunday morning remember why he came? He came to find us. He came to save us. And this morning, he's here to serve us because he surrendered his life for every one of us. And today, you can come into a vital relationship with him. He came to you. He's coming to you now in all of your pain, in all of your sorrow, in all of your pride and all of your hurt and confusion, peace comes. Jesus comes. But will it be as it was in the Advent? Will there be no room for him? Is your life too full of other things? Is it the wrong time? Or is it the right time? Oh, I pray it's the right time. I pray that you'll open your heart to him today and say, come in, Jesus. Come in. Come in. There's room here for you. You never know when death is coming. Certainly there will be empty places around the Christmas table this year that were full last year. Our precious minister, Elder Tom Bender, he, he's not gonna be around the Christmas table this year. He, he won't be there. 
My grandmother, she, she, won't, she won't be there. Now, my grandmother was prepared. She was, she was ready to go. In fact, she said, when I was by her bedside as she was leaving this world, she said, now, Rod, don't you pray for me. I'm ready to go. I said, all right then. I'll pray that you have a beautiful journey. And the next moment she breathed her last. She had, a, she had a lot of time to get ready. Elder Bender preached on Wednesday night before he got home. Was it an accident in an eternity? So there are those that have a lot of time to get ready. And then there are those who may not have tomorrow. I don't know which one you are. And neither do you. So let's get ready. What a beautiful day to accept Christ into your heart. What a beautiful morning. So this is it. I'm going to count to three. You want to accept the Christ of Christmas into your heart. You want to know that your sins are forgiven. You want to him to come and live in your stable. You want him to become the stable influence of your life. You want free from sin and its curse. You want free from the wages of sin, which is death. You want eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When I say three, shoot your hand up in the air. We're going to pray, and you're going to be as sure for heaven as if you were already there. This is going to be the greatest Christmas of your life. You're going to be free and know it. On three, raise that hand. Let's pray. It's why he came. He came looking for you. On three, raise that hand. One, two, three. God bless you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Well, there are more than twenty. Could we thank God this morning? It's why He came. Let's pray. Let's pray. Everybody out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he came to seek and to save, to surrender his life and to serve us. Today, I receive you into the stable of my heart. Come in, Lord Jesus. Forgive my sin. Wash me clean and give me eternal life. I receive it. I'm free. I'm forgiven. It's time to celebrate the reason Jesus came. Now give him a praise. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. 
No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon. 